When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Let's go back in time to 1932 as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics with whom all great professional teams are compared. We have now taken over your radio. Richie Guerin is about to show you the most important step in getting past a man. It's the first one. And Oscar will inbound it. The men in green, the Milwaukee Bucks, that's Al Cinder against Bellamy. Hello and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast. I am Jason Mann and with me as always is Rich Krejci. Rich, great to be back with you. Absolutely. And we are continuing our top 50 series, uh, looking back at uh, the greatest players in NBA history and trying to decide uh, who might join that list. And today we are talking about uh, someone who, you know, does sometimes people have opinions about him and his worth on the Internet. It is Alan Iverson. Yes, a very polarizing <laughs> figure in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, it's a an interesting one. I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this guy. Yes. <laughs> See how to unravel this, this very odd career of, of Allen Iverson. Yes, and both of us have actually recently read uh, the uh, new book by Kent Babb, Not a Game, um, which is about his uh, career. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book toward the end of the podcast. But first, we'll get into his top 50 case. Um, he is 83rd all-time in win shares, 210th in win shares per 48. He is 78th in blocks for plus minus and 39th in value of replacement player. And uh, we can maybe get into this a little little bit more but it does surprise me that he does better on the latter metrics which you know my understanding is those take in you know those take defense a little bit more in um you know and he's not necessarily repeated as as much of a defender even though he was able to kind of get steals and stuff but he was kind of the type of defender who obviously was small and uh you know kind of gambled a lot and lost on that one so it, it surprised me that he did so well on those metrics I was a little surprised as well. Uh, real quickly, maybe I'll do these real quick before we get into a lot of the other uh, analysis of his career. Sure. But uh, looking at error position and, and position all time, uh, so this is obviously guards 
as we've done on this podcast, his guards, and, and then in the time that he played, uh, sixth in win shares, uh, 42nd in win shares, 48, and like you said, fifth in uh, value of replacement players. So we actually graded out real well amongst guards in his era. Uh, and then position all time, so guards all time, 25th in win shares, 80th in win shares per 48, and then again, 14th in value of replacement players. So yeah, if you look at uh, a lot of the the, the box score plus minus and and that sort of stuff, they really enjoy it. They, they like his defense a lot, which is 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 unique. I, you know, there's not a lot of times where I've thought that that box score plus minus was, you know, against sort of the the narrative of a guy that you know good at defense, bad at you know offense. You know, that sort of stuff. It almost seems to fall in line a lot of times with guys. You know, not necessarily breaking it down, you know, minute number by number or whatever, but in terms of like overall thoughts of a guy, I feel like, oh yeah, okay, they think he's a good defender. I think he's a good defender. But this is the one that was kind of odd. He they they graded him out really well, so maybe he he was better than we thought. I don't know. Yeah, man, it's it's it's, uh, it's a mystery, but uh, I, I think there's there's enough that we know about Iverson. I think we can get a kind of a good sense of um, where he lasts. Although he he just is a hard guy to read in a lot of respects mm-hmm. as well. I mean, that's kind of and that's sort of one of the themes of the book, which we'll we we'll get into. But uh, the rest of his resume. He is a uh, one-time MVP, uh, three times on the All-NBA first team, three times on the second team, one time on the third team. He is seventh all-time in points per game, eighth all-time in steals per game, and fourth all-time in usage rate. Uh, he has three uh, top 10 seasons in uh, win shares, although actually it was 10th all three times, and two seasons in the top 10 in value over placement player. Uh, in the Bill Simmons Book of Basketball Pyramid, he is ranked 37th, and in Slam Magazine's uh, Top 500, he is 40th. And, um, you know, he was just an incredible uh, shot creator, scorer, lots of quickness, Um and just had really incredible workload. He led the NBA in minutes seven times in a ten-year span, and in the in during eight playoff runs, he averaged forty-five point one minutes. Um, so I, I think one of the things for for Iverson for me is just the what he just the load that he took on offense and the value of shouldering that load. What does that kind of mean in of itself? Yeah, I think that's the important thing with, with Iverson as well. And I think one of the one of the great things as well is that, you know, I, I don't I usually don't like to look at just, you know, one simple year or, or you know, getting to the NBA finals is like a measure of one player or whatever. But I always look at that 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 2001 Sixers year and, and look at what he was able to do with a team that overall, I mean, it was, it was an okay team, especially when they added Matumbo, it got a lot better, but it really, when you look at it on paper, there are guys that are basically there to let Iverson sort of do what he wants to do and accentuate him. And that's, that's, I think one of the best single examples, you know, at least in the past 30 years of a guy, like a single guy, just putting a team on his back and, and getting them to a certain level. I mean, of course, once they faced the Lakers, they were absolutely no match for the Lakers or whatever. And of course, he was in, you know, a somewhat of a weaker Eastern Conference. And there's all these little caveats here and there. But he's just always got that I look at and I go, my God. And then it, it wasn't just that year, though. I mean, the Sixers success you know, almost single-handedly hinged on him, you know, being what he was and being a great scorer and being, you know, Allen Iverson and, and shouldering, like you said, that gigantic workload that we just don't see. I mean, it, it's it's I, it's just such a – you look at his Yush's numbers and you look at the minutes per game and you look at those sort of things and it's just unbelievable how much, A, this guy played and how much he was the that offense. Like everything that happened on offense went through him. And then to think that Larry Brown was coaching the team that did that is is also a, you know, fun little caveat as well. But, yeah, it's 
it's it's he he's that's that's his value right there. It's just a guy that single handedly got teams to where they were going to get to, and that's there's there's value in that. I think. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the example, you know, the, the reason in the 2015 finals of how the Cavs basically were forced to play with LeBron just dominating the ball. Yeah. And, you know, and, and being and taking that role of, of creating everything and all doing all the scoring and basically, you know, because he had teammates that really weren't able to do that. And also, I, I imagine part of that was to take the burden off of them so that they could defend on the other end and, um, you know, and, and just, you know, keeping them, you know, even though LeBron was very inefficient during that series and it was amazing performance just because of the show of the load that he had to carry and the ability of um, of LeBron to kind of keep them in that series when they had no business really. You know, they, they were clearly the, the weaker team with all the injuries and, and stuff. Um, but I, I think that was there's an argument and I, and I think I do buy it that that was kind of the way they had to play in order to do that. And I think there's a certain argument um, that, you know, at least with the 0-1 Sixers, that they were kind of built that way. And, you know, and they built very much in a way where they, you know, the the other guys did all the defense and, and you know, rebounding and and all the stuff that Iverson really didn't do. And he was just there to, you know, and he was there to score. And it, and it worked, you know, pretty well for a while. Um, you know, and they had some other pretty good teams during that time as well. And um, even though there was a lot of turmoil during that time and, you know, and and Iverson and Larry Brown were butting heads, I mean, it, it, it certainly had a, a thing. I mean, you know, you can certainly argue how effective Iverson actually was, but what you can't really argue is just what a, a force he was both on the court and we even even talked about this, but this is really important too for him is just the level of influence and of yeah. fame that he had, you know, during the time and just um, how he was able to shape the image of the NBA, I, I guess both for better and for worse. But, uh, you, you know, I mean, he really um, just had you inspired you know, a generation of players and, um, you know, and, and it's certainly he's not a he's a, it's it's hard to write a history of the game without him being part of it. Exactly. And that's that's the thing that, that I mentioned on, on a previous podcast we did. Um, and, and of course, that was one of the biggest criteria that we had for this. Not one of the biggest, but one of the criteria we had for this was influence and just cultural significance and all that sort of stuff. And, in, you know, influence in the game. And 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 Everson is a guy that, yeah, it seemed it seems so weird and so I, I don't know if it's necessarily wrong, but it just seems odd that you would have, you know, a 50 greatest player of all time or a top 50 list or whatever and not list a guy who who was without a doubt the face of the NBA for a handful of years. I mean, he was no doubt the, the face of the NBA, again, for better or for worse, and, and really influenced the game in a lot of different ways in terms of the style that was played, in terms of some rule changes, in terms of, you know, fashion and in terms of you know, rules and stuff that they had to do. It, it's just it's so unique of, of what he was able to do in in a relatively short amount of time as well because the real Iverson explosion it didn't I mean he was in the league for a few years before it really became oh my god this guy is you know the top guy just a really a culturally significant guy it took a few years to get that and then it was all kind of over in in, in a flash as well so it's it's so weird to kind of think of him and 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 try to try to put his career into sort of a capsule because it's such, such an interesting career it's just so weird that you know it's it's one of the highest highs and it never really got a low but it just sort of ended you know it, it's you get a few you know the Memphis years yeah, that's probably a yeah. low or that last you know Sixers year or whatever but it was like over and done like he went from you know averaging 30 26 
1946 and then like 1914 and then he was done. And it was like, oh, okay. Like there wasn't, we didn't get that slow drop. We didn't get to see Iverson off the bench. We didn't get to see Iverson as the, the fourth best player on a team or the third best player on a team or anything like that. It was like, you know, budding superstar, superstar, you know, disgruntled superstar and done. And it's over. And it's, it's in that sense, it's so hard to kind of put his career into a, into a pocket and a bubble and try to think of, of, of what it really meant. I, I, it's, I, I struggle with it, but the cultural impact is, is huge. And I, you know, if, even if the statistics aren't all the way there, I, I, like you said, it seems weird to write the history of the NBA in any way of, of, of its 50, you know, greatest players and not feature that guy in there. It's just, it, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess, you know, really the best way to sort of compare him is to guys, you know, who are in, you know, incredibly high usage players and, and it, to see kind of where he stacks. I think it's the fairest, at least numbers way to kind of get the sense of that, but obviously with him and with anyone, but especially with him, it's more than just the numbers. Absolutely. And, and, and unfortunately with him, uh, when you look at those high, like you mentioned, the high usage guys, um, uh, what I did is I did a quick little thing here because uh, we talked about this off air of sort of looking at it. And I looked at players with uh, 30 plus uh, career usage percentage. So these are guys, you know, very, very high usage percentage guys uh, over 100 games in their career as well. And then looked at the win shares per 48 and kind of ranked them. Um, I don't have the exact number. I, I, I lost the list here and I don't feel like doing it right now. But uh, there was about 18 guys on this list. Um, there are a lot of the names you would think of. A few little sleeper guys like a George Gervin was in there as well. A few guys like that. But uh, I, overall, Iverson was actually uh, third to last in terms of these guys in win shares per 48. Uh, the only guys that were worse were uh, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, obviously currently of the Sacramento Kings. And then Freeman Williams. This is uh, the first, I believe, Freeman Williams uh mentioned we've ever had on this podcast and that's it those are your two guys that are worse in win shares per 48 with 30 plus usage percentage so even amongst those guys Iverson doesn't really stand out but you know as I said it's a very limited list of guys with over 30 percent you know career usage so it, it's again it's so he's so he's a tricky one Alan Iverson I don't know yeah um for sure so um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a contender for our list. I mean, you know, we're, we're clear on that, even though, yeah, the, the numbers, um, you know, some of them don't look great. Some of them look better. Um, I, you know, I, he's definitely someone will, will consider it, it. It's hard to say where he'll end up. I, I, I think there's a, certainly there's a chance he'll be on there, but, um, it's, it's hard to argue, but, um, uh, so do you want to talk about the book a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about the book a little. I, I, um, just about done with it. I know you have finished it. Uh, it. It's it's a unique book in the sense that when I initially got it, I you know you think you're going to basically read and and it states as such. You're going to read sort of the biography of, of of Alan Iverson. It's not you know obviously an autobiography, but just sort of re- you know written from the third person of Kent Babb, who who goes through his career, goes through his life, and all that sort of stuff. Quickly though, you kind of realize the book is sort of half and half, and the, the way the chapters are sort of broken down is is one half is like current Alan Iverson and like what's going on in his life, and in terms of it, it's not good by the way. It's a lot of it is bad uh, in terms of like divorce, you know, issues with alcohol, issues with his family, that sort of stuff. And then they'll go to the basketball. And it's sort of this this, um, you know, juxtaposition of his, his, you know, his current life and, and his basketball playing life. And then eventually towards the end, they start to, you know, cross a little bit more and start becoming a little bit more of a of a cross section of what his life is like and, and what his career was like. And as they both sort of, you know, fell downward at the same time. But. Me overall, I I always prefer a book that's just about the basketball. But then I realized that when you when you do a book about Allen Iverson, it's kind of a disservice to not talk about his life because he's a guy who you know is a very polarizing figure on and off the court. I mean, a lot of his 
superstar that we talked about before was not necessarily what he was necessarily doing on the court, but how he presented himself, how he looked, uh, you, you know, the company he kept, you know, you know, how he got to the arena, you know, how he practiced, all that sort of stuff, his relationship with players and coaches or whatever. So I feel like it's disingenuous to not talk about his personal life, but it feels like this one is a lot about that. The, every other chapter being, you know, personal life, career, it kind of drags on you a little bit towards the end. I feel like it. I, I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I, 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 I do agree. Yeah. And the bulk of that is from documents from his divorce, which I think was in 2011 or 2012. Yes, so yeah. so it'd be basically, I mean, it's getting things from that. I mean, does he, you know, um, Ken Babb does plenty of interviews too. Um, although I, I guess I would have liked to have heard more from like the players that he played with at the time. And yeah, it's really only like Aaron McKee and George Lynch are the only two yeah, guys he seemed yeah. to ever We get, we get Larry Brown like, and you get like the guys who were around him, like at Reebok, who were part of the, um, you know, who, who kind of helped market him and, and, and kind of changed his or, you know, kind of formed the image that we expect or, or helped form that. They, they embraced it when a lot of companies would have been more conservative and yeah. not wanting, you know, him to have cornrows and tattoos and, you know, and and uh, and ha- have that appeal. But they definitely embraced it. So, so we get some of that. We get some of the people who that were close to him. And it's it's sort of a lot of it is about like how fewer and fewer people are, um, you know, kind of in his inner circle anymore because part of it's because he's not money part of it is because you know he's, there's been alienating uh you know with those guys um yeah i mean i i do feel like like i i certainly think that the stuff that is in there should be in there um for the most part but i do feel like there's so much focus on the fall of Allen iverson that i feel like we didn't really get a lot about we got some about the rise but i just feel like the 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 stardom the actual like stuff they did on the court, what made him a special player. Um, you know, the, you know, we get a lot about the conflict of Iverson and Larry Brown, but I, I just feel like the, you know, the, the actual stuff that kind of made him special as a player and how we kind of related to the team. And, you know, we know he was late a lot. We know he drank a lot, you know, to learn from this book that, that, and maybe, you know, a lot of stuff's already kind of maybe out there on the, you know, in the public record and the, the you know, the point of the book is bringing a lot of the new stuff and, you know, um, I mean, I, I certainly feel like it, it does capture him, but I mean, he's a guy who I just really think it's hard both on the um, you, you both on the court and off the court in, in, in terms of personality. He is just such a hard guy to kind of capture because there's so many facets to him. There's so many. It seems like he's you know what, like a just a really kind, sweet guy sometimes. And he's just a you know, a, a, a terrible guy to deal with because of alcohol and just terrible to his family. And, you know, he just acted in all these terrible ways. Um, so, you know, it, it, the the basketball part of him is hard to define. And the, you know, the, the personal with him is hard to define. Yeah. And and I echo your thoughts, you know, again, about in terms of the book and, and the, the sort of difference between, you know, how much he talks about him playing and, and how much he talks about his life or whatever. And, and I, I absolutely get it. And I think that it, it'll be interesting to read for anybody that's a basketball fan and anybody that's not a basketball fan, too. I think you get a good idea of kind of the ups and downs of this guy's life and that sort of stuff. But yeah, when you talk about some of the year, like the 2001 finals year is basically in one chapter. And that's like, oh, man, like you got to that that deserves a lot more. I mean, that that's just such an interesting, yeah. interesting year. And, and and it's built up in terms of a few chapters prior about the Larry Brown and Allen Iverson, you know, at, at, you know, at each other's throats and and Iverson's, 
you know, on the trade block, you know, famously, you know, ready to go. And Matt Geiger, you know, blocks the trade or whatever. But I, I felt like, yeah, that, that eventual year where he sort of in a lot of ways figured it out. And Larry Brown just said, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. I don't care. Like, do your thing. Let's let's see what we can do. and Let's see what we can do with this. I thought that needed a little bit more. But I guess, it, you know, that's 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 how I read it. But I'm sure there's plenty of people who would get bored by, you know, hearing about that sort of stuff. So that's whatever. And, and, and like you said, I think one of the big parts is that not doing enough interviews with, with other players. And and that might have been I, I'm sure he tried. I, I don't know for a fact, but I'm sure he contacted guys. Maybe a bunch of guys just said, I, you know, I don't really care. You know, eh, I don't really give it, you know, AI. I don't really talk to him anymore. I don't know what he did. I don't want to get involved in it or whatever. It could have been that, but it was pretty. I mean, you basically heard from Aaron McKee, George Lynch and a few other dudes. And that's it would have been real nice because, I mean, he played with a bunch of different guys, a bunch of different stops in his career, that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it's overall, I, I would recommend it. I think I think it's a decent book. It's an easy read. I think that's the biggest thing, too. I, I blow through that. I'll do a sitting and I'll go through my game maybe 100 pages in one sitting because sure. it's, it's a very, very easy read. And maybe that's sort of a testament to the, the the switch off in there in terms of like basketball personal, basketball personal is that you can get through it really quick and you sort of want to get to the next chapter always in a way too because you're always like, okay, what's next in this this personal life stuff because you just continue to see it spiral and spiral and spiral and you're like, oh, how can it get any worse? You know, what's going to be next? What's behind this door or whatever? So interesting in that respect. But yeah, if you're going in for like a pure Allen Iverson, the basketball player book, you're not going to get that. And if you're looking for like a pure like puff piece on Allen Iverson, it's not that as well. It's it's he's he's got warts, but I feel like Ken, Ken's fair in that too because he also represents the times when he is a good guy as well. But uh, he, there are, you know, yeah, I, I I don't have an issue with the you know the the balance of it. I think the balance of it seems you know appropriate based on um, what it has. Just yeah, I would have liked to kind of you know. Um, got a more of a sense of kind of what made him special um you know in terms of basketball and in terms of the way that he captured people and, and you get a little bit of it but i just i guess i would have liked a little bit more of that stuff and um but i accept that you know given what he had to work with given that he tried to get iverson to be to talk to him and was unable to yeah i mean i mean iverson's voice i guess is the, really the key thing that's missing from the book and you know if uh, and he admits late in the book that you know if he'd have been able to get that it would have been a stronger book. He, there's a toward the end he talks about trying to get Iverson and approaching him and you know and, and that kind of thing. But um, but yes, it is. It's still an interesting read. It's still a good book. I, I I do recommend it. But there are some you know some things to know going in for sure. So um, everyone, uh, please uh, check us out at hardwoodparoxysm.com. We are part of the HP uh, network of uh, podcasts, which you can find both the HP network feed and our own feed on iTunes. We would appreciate if you'd uh, subscribe and uh, give a, a rating and review. And uh, you can also find us at uh, over and back at NBA.com. It's our um, it's our message board where we you can uh, chat about uh, all the players in the top 50 or whatever great NBA topics you want to talk about. And uh, we've had some great discussion there from some uh, contributors. We really appreciate that. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at over and back uh, NBA. And you can also subscribe to our uh, new uh, newsletter, the uh, over and back uh, NBA history newsletter, which we're going to be uh, having every week. It'll just have uh, have articles and podcasts and things that are going on in NBA history that have appeared on the internet that uh, you want to know about. So you can uh, get that from us. So uh, until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.